All right, so let's dive in this morning. See, I don't believe anyone would disagree with me if I said there are a lot of challenges in this world. Challenges not only in this world, but also in our community, our neighborhoods, perhaps even in our own families and our personal lives. And what often ends up happening with the challenges of this world is they just have this way of drawing our attention to them. Just like a car accident when you drive by, it's just so hard to not look and want to see. All of these challenges in our world tend to just want to draw our attention to them. And if we're not careful, we can end up giving all of these challenges a priority seat in our minds. And we have to be careful because if we allow our focus to turn time and time and time again to the challenges of the world... It's not too far off where you can begin feeling perhaps anxious or feeling fearful about the condition of the world. And when you fear fearful, it's really just putting your faith in something other than God. Right? That's all fear is. At the end of the day, it's misplaced faith. When you fear, it's when you take your faith away from God and you put it into something else. But all of these challenges of the world can just kind of push this on us and pull us in that direction. But I believe that God is calling us to look to him and him alone, to place our faith in him and recognize that there is an answer to every single problem the world faces. Right? I want us to just grasp that this morning, that there is no problem, no issue, no challenge, no sin in this world that is too great that God doesn't have an answer for it. He has an answer for every single one of them. The Bible teaches us that we have been given every single thing that we need in order to fulfill the call that the Lord has placed on our lives and on the church. We are not lacking in any way. There is no lack in the church today. We have been given every single tool we need to accomplish our mission. The question is, are we using them? Are we using them? Now, I have a pretty large lawn. It's a little over three acres, and it's just all lawn, big lawn. So when it is time to mow the grass, I do not go into my house, go to my kids, ask them for a pair of their scissors, and then go out and try to cut the grass. Rather, I go and I get on the zero-turn mower, and I fly back and forth to get that thing done. The point is, I use the tool that I have to address the problem I face, that the grass needs to be cut. See, the church has been given all of the tools we need to see change in our families, to see change in our neighborhoods and this community, but are we actually using them? See, everything we've talked about thus far in this Foundational Truth series would qualify. Everything fits. They're tools that God has given us for transformation And today we're going to look at another one of those tools that we've been given by God. We're going to talk about prayer. Prayer. Prayer is the next truth in our Foundational Truth series. It's a powerful tool that we've been given by God for bringing change. So let me recap quickly in case you haven't been here or maybe you've just forgotten. We have walked through a number of different truths setting a foundation for Bethel in this new season. And so we started off by considering truth. We looked at the truth of God revealed in the word that reveals Christ who is truth, which provides a foundation for everything else. We then considered the power of the Holy Spirit that's been poured out on the church so that we can boldly proclaim that truth 
and operate in God's supernatural power. We are all called and the Holy Spirit is available to every single one of us to empower us. We then discussed how the power of God flows through the presence of God in our lives, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We are called to host the presence of God in our lives. God created us to live in his presence. And in his presence is where there is power. And he has made us and he has made the church temples for hosting his spirit. We are called to live in the presence of God, to host the presence of God, not just once a day, not just once a week at church, but all throughout our day, we are called to live in the presence of God. Because in his presence is where we will see his power flow as individuals as well as the church. Today, we're going to add to that foundation and we're going to look at prayer. And prayer is intrinsically tied to the mission the church has been given to see our lives and our communities impacted because prayer is a bridge between what currently exists and what should be. Prayer is a bridge between what currently exists in this world and what should be. Prayer is powerful. And so prayer, like most of the topics in this series, is very multifaceted. You could spend weeks digging into various aspects of it. However, for today, what I want us to walk away with is an understanding that prayer must be a priority of the church, for it's one of the reasons we gather, that we can know how and what to pray for, and that prayer truly does change things. All right, so let's dive in and start with that first truth. The church is called to pray. The church is called to pray. Now, I know that's straightforward, and it's like, yeah, of course the church is called to pray. What is this guy telling us? But I want to go a little bit deeper, because it's not just that we are called to pray. It's that fundamentally, one of the primary reasons we gather together is to be a praying body. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and open them to Mark 11. We're going to start with just one verse in there today. And we have it up on the screen as well. Mark 11, verse 17. It's talking about Jesus. And it says, As he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So if you were to read Mark chapter 11, what you would see is the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, which happens just a few days before his crucifixion. And prior to the verses that we read, Jesus goes into the temple and it says that Jesus begins driving out those who are buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and he wouldn't allow people to carry merchandise through the temple courts. In the verse we read, Jesus's words are actually the combination of two Old Testament scriptures. Part of it is from Isaiah 56, 7 and part of it's from Jeremiah 7, 11. And Jesus Christ quotes and combines these two scriptures to denounce what had been taking place at the temple. Now, if you read Mark 11, and I encourage you to do that this week, you will see that Jesus is fired up. Did you know that Jesus got a little fired up? He was fired up in this moment. So what exactly is going on here? A couple of things. First, the money changers who had their tables flipped over were blatantly ripping people off. 
So in the Old Covenant times, there was three festivals where male Israelites were required to travel to Jerusalem. And the account from Mark is capturing this happening prior to one of those festivals, the festival of Passover. Each Israelite male also had to pay a yearly temple tax, and many of them would pay it during this time. And so this tax also had to be paid in the currency of the temple, which was the shekel. Now, the shekel was not always used in normal commerce. It wasn't always the money that people would be carrying around. And so, therefore, if they came to the temple and they needed to convert their money to what the temple accepted, they had to utilize these money changers who were ripping people off and charging really high exchange fees. You can see why Jesus was upset about that. Second, in addition, the temple was also the place where they would offer their sacrifice. So instead of bringing a sacrifice along on their journey, oftentimes what they would do is they would get to the temple and they would simply buy a sacrifice at the temple. In a similar manner to the money exchangers, those that were selling animals were also ripping people off. Now, as if that wasn't enough, in addition to all of this dishonesty that was taking place, where all of this took place was in the outer courts of the temple, which was the place designated, designated for the Gentiles to come and worship. So the inner courts of the temple were reserved for the Jews. So the Gentiles at that time were only allowed to come as far as the outer courts for worshiping. But instead of finding a place where Gentiles could come and worship... Jesus instead found that the temple courts were turned into a dishonest marketplace. And so all of this going on, Jesus says, that's enough. And he just goes and he begins to clear it all out. And after he clears it out, he proclaims that the temple was to be a house of prayer for all nations, meaning all, including the Gentiles, were to be included. So take note of that, that his house was to be a house of prayer. Jesus was saying that the gathering at the temple was to be for all to come and pray and to come into the presence of God. Prayer is to be a fundamental part of what takes place in the house of God. And I'm not necessarily talking about the building as much as I am the gathering of his people. We have to remember that we are the church. We as his people are the church. We are his house as we discussed in the sermon about the presence of God. We call this building church, but it's really more about the gathering of God's people. We can have church and be the church anywhere. We could go down to Krause Park and we could come together and that would be church because we are the church. So we as his body are called to come together and when we do, we are called to pray, to commune with God, to intercede and listen. Communion with God is to be of utmost priority in the house of God. It's to be a fundamental reason as to why we gather. We are called to be a people who pray. 2 Timothy 2, 1, and 4, 1 through 4. It says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so in these verses, did I say 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy? I think that's supposed to be 1 Timothy. That's a typo. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think it's 1 Timothy. I don't know which it is actually because I have 2 Timothy here and 1 Timothy here. So I don't know. So forgive me for that. 
We're not perfect. Please forgive me. Regardless of where it's at, Paul is telling Timothy, this is not good. We're going off the tracks here, man. We're going to recover. We're pulling it back. We're pulling it back. But in these verses, Paul tells Timothy, who was serving as the pastor of the church in Ephesus, that they were called to pray. And then he lists a couple different types of prayers that should be made on behalf of the people. That could be a topic of a future sermon. But why did they need to pray? Well, verse 4 outlines it very well. It's because God wants people whom the church is called to reach to be saved and to know the truth. God wants people to know the truth. So just like we saw a few weeks ago when we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit and the signs and the giftings that he gives to people, that those things were given so that people would call on the name of the Lord to be saved, we are also called to pray and intercede on behalf of people with that same objective in mind that people would be saved and come to know God. One of the fundamental reasons we gather together is to pray to be a praying body interceding on behalf of a world that doesn't even know how lost they are. If we don't pray and intercede for them, who will? Who will? See, I want you to know how blessed I am that so many of you come and you tell me, we're praying for you, we're praying for you, we're praying for you. That is such an incredible blessing. I thank you for all those prayers. But when that happens, this realization comes to my mind around the fact that there are people in this world who have absolutely nobody praying for them. There are entire families that are lost in darkness, and there is not a single one of them that is being prayed for and interceded for. That is where we come in. Because if we don't pray and intercede for them, who will? Who will? We are called to intercede and pray for them, to lift them up before God. It is part of why we exist. It is part of why we gather, and we are called to stand in the gap for them and pray like Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they don't even know what they do. We are called to be a people of prayer and a church of prayer. God's house, his church, we as his temple are to be a place of prayer and intercession. Next, we can know how and we can know what to pray for. So let's look at the quintessential verses on prayer. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip them over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, we're going to look at verses 9 to 13. It says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now we know these verses as the Lord's Prayer. And so what happened, you see, in one of the Gospels is that the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him to teach them how to pray. And Jesus does exactly that, and he teaches them with the verses that we read. Now, one important note when it comes to the Lord's Prayer is that while there isn't anything wrong with simply repeating the Lord's Prayer, Jesus was not giving us magic words to repeat as some sort of good luck charm. I'm not saying there's anything wrong when people repeat the Lord's Prayer, but 
it's not just this sort of good luck charm that if I just repeat this thing over and over enough times, something good is going to happen. Rather, what Jesus was doing with this is providing a model for us when we pray. In these verses, Christ teaches us how and what to pray for. And so what I want to do is I want to spend some time this morning breaking down each verse. And it begins with our Father in heaven. Our Father. Meaning God has chosen to relate to believers on the basis of us as his redeemed children. He has revealed himself in the scriptures as our Father. Now we need to remember is that we didn't decide this. We believe that the words of the Bible were inspired by God himself. In other words, he revealed this truth that man then wrote down, that he is our father. This wasn't man saying, well, we kind of want this God guy to be a father to us. No, it was God revealing that he truly is a father and that he's loving and kind. And he tells us to come to our father in prayer, not to some unknown energy source He doesn't tell us to come to a religious concept. He doesn't tell us to pray to some old gray-bearded guy in some distant place, but to our Father. He is our Father, and he is inviting us into his presence to speak with him through this thing that we call prayer. Now, if you're a parent in this room, you'll be able to relate to this well. I love all stages of parenting. I really do. I love the baby stage. I love babies. I really, really do. I love the toddler stage, at least most of the time. We know there's some fun times there. But I love when they start to show their personality and who they are, and you see that. But there is also something just so special as your children grow, and they actually start wanting to have a conversation with you, where you can actually start talking with them and having a conversation See, I love it when my older kids actually want to have a conversation. I'm not saying it happens a lot. But I love it when they come to me and they start telling me about something that they're doing. Or they want to know something about something, right? Or they come and they just want help with something. See, this is the same with God. It's his desire that we would come to him and talk to him and process life with him. To meet with him right where we are at to bring requests and to intercede for others. We have a good father who desires true relationship with us. And true relationship cannot happen without communication. We're called to speak with our father. It's also our father. We are the body of Christ and we have the same father. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a family. You look around this room this morning, you are looking at your family. One of the foundational principles of the kingdom is family. We'll have to talk about that sometime. But why do you think that Satan attacks family and he attacks marriages so much? It's because family is foundational to the kingdom. We're talking about blood-related families and also the body of Christ as a spiritual family. We have the same father, and so we must be unified as a body. See, this is why corporate prayer is so powerful. Corporate prayer is so powerful because it helps bring unity to the body as we come together and pray in one accord. Corporate prayer is powerful because it brings us together with a unified purpose in what we're praying for. Corporate prayer often leads to great outpourings of the Spirit, not because we collectively twist God's arm enough 
or that we get enough of us together in the room that we earn it, but because in the times of corporate prayer, we become unified and prepared to receive what God has always wanted to do. That's why corporate prayer is powerful. It's not that, man, if we could just get 110 of us in here, then God certainly would have to pour out his spirit. It's not, oh, if we could just get enough of us in here and we can just twist God's arm enough, he'll do what we want him to do. No, no, no. Corporate prayer is powerful because when we come together, what happens is that God's desire to pour out his spirit into us is allowed because we become vessels into which he can pour it. Understand that God is not stingy in any way. Right? I hope we understand that. He gave his only son. He is not stingy. Sometimes I think we have this view of God like, man, he's just so stingy. Why doesn't he just pour out his spirit? Why doesn't he do this and that? And oftentimes I think the answer to that question is we are not prepared to receive what he already wants to do. And so we have to walk in unity together because if you have some sort of clay jar at your house and you begin pouring into that thing, what may happen is those cracks may expand and it may burst open. But if you have a clay jar with no cracks and it's a unified piece of clay, then you can pour into that thing over and over until it's running over. Corporate prayer is powerful because it prepares us to be vessels to receive. Now next, it says, hallowed be your name. So prayer is entering into the presence of God. And as we talked about previously, entering into his presence should lead us to worship. God is worthy of worship. That means he's worth worshiping. See, someone may ask, well, is God full of himself that he asks us to worship him? Well, absolutely not. He is God. He is greater and more magnificent than I think what we could ever comprehend He is worthy of being worshipped. And the truth of the matter is, every single person on this earth earth, worships one of three things. They will worship either God, self, or this world. And he is the only one worth worshipping. Every single person will worship one of three things, God, self, or the world. Which one are we going to worship? Only God. Only God. When we worship God, it does something powerful in us. See, he is our father, and he has invited us into intimate relationship with him. But what we must never lose sight of is that he is almighty God. He is the one so powerful that he only needed to speak a word and a universe beyond our comprehension has come into existence. And if you look into science, it is still continuing to expand and to grow. He is almighty God who spoke a word and everything came to be. He is more powerful and great and amazing and awesome than our minds can comprehend. When we worship, it brings that proper perspective to us and reminds us of his greatness and who he is. And when we see his greatness... We remember that no matter what situation we face in life, with him, all things are possible. See, when you see God for who he is, suddenly the challenges of the world don't look so big anymore. Suddenly those difficult situations you're facing don't seem so difficult anymore. When we see him for who he truly is, he is almighty God. So he is our father, but we are his children. He is almighty God but he's invited us in to know him. 
So notice now, as we move along, that the beginning of the prayer, as Jesus says, this is how you should pray, it isn't immediately just jumping into prayer and rattling off a list of everything that we have need of. Prayer starts with a recognition of who God is and who we are in him. Now, in that place, we are prepared to start interceding. So we are told to pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, all of God's word is valuable. All of it is truthful. All of it is powerful. But I believe there are some verses in the word of God that just carry such incredible weight, that carry such incredible depth of revelation and truth. And this is one of those verses. God's desire for this earth is that his kingdom would come and advance And in this, his will would increasingly be accomplished and that this earth would begin to reflect heaven. Recognize today that God's will is not being fully expressed on the earth. That is a tough concept for some people to grasp and accept, but it's a fundamental truth that we need to understand that there are things happening in this world that are not in alignment with God's will. Let me give you an example of that. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish. In other words, die without knowing him. And yet we know every day there are people that are dying without knowing him. In other words, God's will is that none would be lost. We know that there are some being lost, which tells us that God's will is not being fully expressed in this world. See, this is fundamental for us to understand why things are the way that they are. It's not because God desires them to be, it's because his will is yet to be perfectly expressed in a fallen world. Think about it this way, we wouldn't need to pray for his will to be done if it was already being perfectly accomplished in this earth. But that is where we come in, and that is where the church comes in. That is where we come in. We are called to be the agents of advancement for his kingdom. And where his kingdom comes, his will will be done. The father telling us to pray for his will to be done means he isn't satisfied with the condition of our world, and we shouldn't be either. He sent his son to see this changed. What are we willing to do to play our part? One way we can begin to do our part is through prayer. Prayer and intercession. Prayer and intercession for our world. So how do we express this truth in our prayer life? Well, when we pray into situations, when we pray for things, when we intercede and bring requests to God, we should be praying his will into those things. That means it's really important for us to know the will of God. If you don't know his will, then you won't know what to properly pray for. And we know his will is revealed in the word. This is yet another vital reason that we as God's people need to know his word. We need to be consuming it and breathing it in and reading it. Knowing God's will is vital in praying confident, faith-filled prayers. When we know his will, we can pray confidently. Think about this. God desires all to come to know him. So that means, since I know his will in this, I can boldly pray faith-filled, bold prayers for my unsaved friends and family to come to know him. I can pray for my community and the lost in the community in a bold manner without any sort of question in my mind whether or not God wants them to be saved. 
because the word says that he does. Christ said that he came to give us abundant life. So that means I can pray for businesses in my community to thrive. I can pray against darkness and violence in my communities. I can pray for schools and students and teachers because we know that God wants them to have an abundant life. When we know his will, we know what to pray for. We know how to pray. If God's will is not being expressed, then we need to intercede. We need to hear his heart and help bring forth the answer so that his will would be done here on earth, even as in heaven. Move on to verse 11 here. It says, give us today our daily bread. This tells us that we can indeed bring requests to God. We can indeed bring requests to God. So when we pray, it's not that we can't be like, oh God, I have need of this or that and I can't bring that. No, this tells us that we can come to God and say, Father, I have these needs in my life. But what I want you to notice here is the priority. They come after the other things that we discussed. And this aligns with what Jesus taught in Matthew 6, that if we will seek first the kingdom, then all of the other things we need will be added to us. In other words, if you seek first my kingdom, I will take care of all the rest. When you have a need, be confident that God will provide for it, but continue to seek first the kingdom even in that place of need. God wants to meet your needs, but he doesn't want your entire life centered around them to the detriment of living a life of purpose. We move on to verse 12. It says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It includes forgiveness. So first, we ask God to forgive us if we have sinned. I want us to recognize it's not because God wants to smite us and we have to try to satisfy this angry God who wants to just kick us in the butt every time we mess up. It has nothing to do with that. We ask God to forgive us when we fall short, when we sin, because God is calling us forth to something greater. It's transformation and to be like Christ. See, if there's any area in your life where you're struggling with a sin, God is saying, I want you to repent and turn away from that thing because I'm calling you to something higher, to something greater. I'm calling you to be like my son, to be like Jesus. So we ask God to forgive us in any areas we fall short. And then we also forgive others who owe us a debt. Forgiveness is such a vital piece of walking in God's freedom because many people have imprisoned themselves in chains of unforgiveness and then blamed the enemy for it. Many believers have wrapped chains around themselves of unforgiveness and then they want to blame an enemy for it when it's them who's wrapping those very chains. See, a simple question to ask is if God's forgiveness towards me was in equal proportion to the forgiveness I have shown others, would I be in trouble when I stand before him someday? It's a great question for us all to ask. If God only forgave me as much as I'm willing to forgive others, would it be a really bad day when I stand before him? We are called to forgive as Christ has forgiven us we are called to forgive others, to release them, and to release ourselves. So forgiveness is not easy, but it's something we are called to because God desires us to walk in that freedom. And then lastly, verse 13, it says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I love this verse. 
Because this verse is simply a prayer that we would overcome the enemy even as Christ overcame the enemy. That we would overcome this world even as Christ overcame this world. God will deliver you from any temptation you face. And when you defeat that temptation, you become more like him. This is a prayer that we would overcome the enemy even as Christ has already overcome the enemy. See, in the Lord's Prayer, God has revealed the conversation he wants to have with us. So let's not try to change that conversation. Jesus himself provided this prayer as a model for how and what we should be praying for. That brings us to the last aspect to cover for today. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. Now, once again, I know that everybody sitting here probably agrees with that. However, what I want to do is take a look at some scriptures that I think really drive this point home. Because when you pray and when we pray, I want us to have a burning conviction inside of us that we aren't just going through some sort of religious motion, but we are changing situations with those prayers. That we are changing destinies of people's lives when we pray. And so I'm going to quickly read through a number of verses here. There's quite a few But I want you to just kind of listen for the theme here. And I know that's probably hard to see, but what I want you to see is just the bolded underlying part. I'll read them. Can anybody actually read that? You guys are good. Romans 15, 30 to 31, it says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there. 2 Corinthians 1, 10 to 12. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Ephesians 6, 19. Pray also for me. That whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Colossians 4, 3 and 4. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24 to 25. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1-2. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. Philemon 1, 22. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Did anyone notice a theme in any of those verses? not a trick question. Here are seven scriptures all written by the Apostle Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit where Paul instructs and asks and pleads with other believers to pray for him. So you say, well, what does that have to do with convincing us that prayer changes things? Well, I want you to think about it this way. This is the Apostle Paul who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write 13 out of the 27 books of the New Testament. 
This is the same guy who in 2 Corinthians 12 talked about the revelation that he received from God was so great and so profound that the Lord allowed a thorn in his side to keep him humble. Right? This is not that person that you meet at the supermarket that skimmed the Bible one time and wants to try to tell you what everything means. This is a guy who knew, who knew, who knew what truth was and had such profound and incredible revelation of it. If that guy is asking people to pray for him time and time and time again, there is only one reason. He knew that prayer was effective and would actually change things. See, if prayer didn't change things, if it was just a nice religious ritual, then Paul, who had all of this profound revelation, wouldn't have spent so much time asking people to pray for him. But if he knew that prayer changed things, then it would make perfect sense for him to continue to ask people to pray for him over and over and over again so that things would actually change. And that's what we see. This guy who had such profound revelation continually in almost every single letter he wrote asked someone or someones to pray for him, to intercede for him, because he knew that their prayers were powerful, that their prayers would change things, and their prayers would help bring him into the calling and the destiny that God has for him. And if the worship team wants to come. Prayer changes things. When we pray, something happens that otherwise would not have happened if we didn't pray. John Wesley said, God does nothing in the affairs of men unless they pray. Bill Johnson said, history is shaped by those who pray, or it is shaped in the absence of those who could have prayed but did not. We are in a spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual battle, and prayer is spiritual warfare and a powerful weapon. Prayer is one of the ways that we do battle with principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. Prayer is preparation for and participation in the battle that we are facing. I want you to think of it like this. Prayer is like the air support before the ground troops roll in. So in a war, what you will often see is that you send in the air support first. And the air support comes in to try to soften up the enemy. And once the air support bombards the enemy, then the ground troops move in and do their part. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but it's important. We are called to complete the Lord's work, to get out into our communities, to get out and do something. And we are also called to pray. Both of of these things are to complement each other. We should not go forth and try to do the work without covering it in prayer. And we should not simply pray without being willing to go forth and do the work. Both of them are required if we are going to advance the kingdom. We must be praying over situations, over our communities, over our unsaved friends. We have to be praying for them because if we're not, who will? Who will? Prayer is foundational to everything we desire to see at Bethel. It's foundational to everything we desire to see in our communities. We must be a people who pray. Now, in your personal life, I encourage you to set aside a time each day to pray. 
But as we talked about before, I also want you to learn to host the presence of God and speak with him throughout your day. If you want to get really practical, set aside that time, but you could also put a couple of alarms in your phone that just go off a few times a day that just remind you, hey, it's time to talk to God. Let's use technology for us. There's so much garbage that comes with those things, but there's so many great things. It would not be wrong if you just set a few alarms and that you get into this practice of saying, whoa, I need to take a few minutes and I need to speak with God. We want to be a people who pray. Jesus said that his temple, his house, we are his temple, we are his house, and it is to be a house of prayer. And when we pray, we know that things are going to change. We know that things are going to change. So practically speaking, there are some ways that we can get involved as a corporate body. I want to invite everyone, Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., we are starting to meet for pre-service prayer. If you're able to be here at that time, we meet back in the choir room. If you go through that door right there and then go to your left, you'll find the choir room. If you come in the back entrance, it's the first door to your left. We'll have it open. If you're able to be here at 9 a.m. for pre-service prayer, we would love to have you join us. And we simply pray over the service. We pray over each person that's going to be here. We're looking at getting a monthly prayer meeting started on Sunday evenings so that we have that time dedicated to prayer. We're going to have more of our nights of worship and prayer where we come together and pray and simply worship Christ. Another very practical way you can get involved is through our Adopt-A-Street ministry. Now, if you're relatively new here, you may not have heard about this, but if you go out those doors in the hallway, you will see a poster that has a Google Maps image of Littlestown and all of the streets listed. This is a vision that we have that every single prayer in the Littlestown borough and somewhat outside would be covered in prayer. That every single family, every single business, every single government institute, every single school would be covered with people interceding. It's what I said earlier. There are people in this community that if we don't pray for them, nobody will. And so if you've already adopted a street, I just want to encourage you to just be fired up about that. To continue to pray over your street, to visit your street, drive down your street, walk your street, pray for whatever is on that street. If you adopted a street and you're sitting here going, whoops, forgot all about that, just go check it out today. Get the name of your street and get going with it. If you haven't adopted a street, we are just 22 streets away from having every single one in Littlestown adopted for prayer. There's a piece of paper out there with 22 streets on it. If you would like to adopt a street for prayer, I encourage you to just go out those doors today, sign up for one of those 22 streets that are left. What could happen in a community that has every single part of it covered in prayer? What could happen in Littlestown if every single family, every single business, every single school was covered in prayer? Guys, this is our community. This is where we are called to start to reach. I don't know about you, but a few weeks ago, I saw on the Littlestown and surrounding area thing on Facebook that there was a person in this community that committed suicide. That is not okay. That is not okay. 
because we have been put here to bring his kingdom to this community. And we are called to take up the cause of Christ for Littlestown and then spread it out to other places. It's not okay that these things are taking place. It's not okay that sensations operates in this community. It's not okay. And we need to stand in the gap and we need to pray for righteousness and holiness and peace and God's presence to just flood this entire community until all have an opportunity to call on his name. I encourage you, adopt the street. Let's pray over this community. I know there's some of you here that are passionate about prayer. The Lord has something on your heart and you say, hey, we could pray in this sort of manner. I encourage you, come talk to me. I won't say no to prayer. So let's figure out what else we can do to intercede and lift up God's name in this place. Prayer is God's invitation to partner with him in impacting the world, impacting the community in which we live. It's an opportunity to impact eternity and it's well worth our time and our attention. And so that how, that's how I wanna finish today. If you can go ahead and stand to your feet. here today and you need special prayer for anything, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you're not walking with him, you don't have a relationship with him, we would love to pray with you before you go. Don't be in a rush. We would love to just meet you at these altars. There are always people available to pray with you. So if you need prayer for anything today, before we go, I just want you to come on up here, meet us at the altar. We will pray with you. But what I'd like to do right now is just spend a couple of minutes on two things. First, let's lift up prayer for this church, this house, that we would be everything that God desires us to be. And then I want to spend a couple of minutes praying over Littlestown in this community that God has placed us in the midst of, that we would be a lighthouse and we would go forth so that people would call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. So why don't you just go ahead right now and just close yourself in with the Lord and can you just begin to intercede and pray over Bethel. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.